How's it, Internet? And welcome to Two Guys in SharePoint. The only SharePoint show in South Africa where everything is not made up and there are no points. Greetings again, Alistair. Hello, Mr. Modlin. It was good seeing you early on today. Yes, I actually made it into the into the booth for a interview this time around. Yeah, and we uh, we, we were coming to you while pre-recorded, not live, uh, from the mothership. Live to tape. Live to tape. This program was pre-recorded. Of course yeah. it was pre-recorded. When else are you <laughs> going to record it? Afterwards? George Carling. <laughs> Evil Knievel can get on the plane. I'm getting in the plane. Seems to be much less windy in here. So why were we at Microsoft today, Al? Uh, for a couple of reasons. There was, uh, well, I was there because I wanted to go see what they were doing around this huge Azure boot camp, and it was mental. They had 140 registrations, and they filled all the auditoriums with it. So they did the, so the Azure DX leads and all of those guys, the same training that Microsoft puts on for Microsoft employees in Seattle, that the Azure team goes to, they actually did that, um, and they're still doing that during this week for the Azure Bootcamp. And they actually had people break up into groups so that they can work through and build stuff in Azure. Very cool. Tomorrow they're doing a, a, a bot IoT um, day, so it's going to be very cool. Super awesome. And while we were there, we caught up with our guest. Yes, uh, the formidable, the... Our current resident heckler, the one, the only, the bald-headed uh, Warren Marks, to talk about the state of records management in South Africa. Cool. So let's go over to that now. Great. So this week, we decided to go back to basics and start unpacking a whole bunch of rudimentary knowledge management fundamental sessions. And our guest this week has uh, been around the block a few times. It's got some new capability going on. Without any further ado, uh, we welcome back Warren the Heckler Marks onto the show to talk about records management. Thank you. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome back to the internet. Thank you. It's nice to see the same studio that we were in the last time. We were into this one. <laughs> we were across the hall. Just for any listeners that might not have heard your previous episodes with us, can you give us a five-second intro? Five seconds, sure. That's difficult for a sales guy. (laughs) Sure, man. Sales guy. (laughs) Cool. So, yeah, been in the IT industry about 17 odd years now. Started out as a solution architect, working really with big data, specialized in migrations, uh, cross platform migrations, any big data migrations. Been working in the SharePoint space for the last eight or nine years predominantly around product migration, data management. Uh, worked for an SI for the last four and a bit years um, and have proved, uh, recently moved across to an ISV. Very cool. So a wealth of knowledge that we're hoping to tap into now. I'd like to start with the state of records management from your perspective in South Africa. Where do you see it? What have you seen? What sort of loopholes have you found? And all of those things. And then we'll jump into what's available in the industry in a bit. But really just your view on, you've engaged with these sorts of clients and this is their thinking around where records management is in the industry. Sure. So I think a lot of customers 
think they know what records management is, but don't really. I think it's a, it's, it's a checkbox that has to be checked within organizations. Um, and they implement software packages and generally siloed software packages to try and address uh, records management and retention and disposition of documents within the organization. So what we see out of a lot of um, is third-party platforms, so siloed applications, the guys are spending exorbitant amounts of money and generally using a very small percentage of the, the capability. And guys are looking to move away from that. So historically across organizations, there were many silos of, of different applications for different purposes within uh, organizations. And guys are looking at amalgamating those into a, a single platform that they can get more value for money. So a platform like a, a SharePoint within the Microsoft stack where they're paying a either a subscription-based sort of uh, a payment um, and making use of a platform for cross-purpose. So SharePoint now has those capabilities, but it doesn't just have to be used for records management. It could be used for a number, a number of other functions. So what we see a lot of is people have got piles and piles of data sitting within these applications and they now don't know what to do with them um, and how to get that information out into a, a new multi-purpose platform. One of the biggest things we see with a lot of organizations is that they want records management, but they haven't even started with the basics. So it's throwing technology at a, uh, at a problem to try and resolve it, but it generally surfaces those issues a lot more quickly rather than resolving the problem. Yeah, so you, you really have to start, records management starts with a, a solid plan. 100%. You've got to plan out exactly what it is you're doing, how you're doing it, um, and then pick a technology that will enable that and do all the proper... I seem to think we say this every week on the podcast, but proper change management and uh, making sure everybody in the organization is on board and yeah. the organization is really going to follow through with it. I, I think the technology is the easy part of it, to be honest with you. Once you've picked the technology and implementing is the, is the easiest side, but it's getting the prep work done around your file plans, um, your categorization, how long to keep documents for when to dispose them. That, that's the difficult part to get buy-in from business and get everybody on the same page because yeah. within business every department sees data differently so how do you get commonality across those departments that everyone's in agreement with get sign off of that plan and then implement it in the technology the technology doesn't do the planning for you that's got to be done prior to implementation absolutely i see you've learned a new word disposition <laughs> I'm glad you actually picked up on our earlier conversation yes. um, around that. Yeah. And uh, that's something that I want to hold. For the most part, the guys that we've in, engaged with, you know, probably since should have been the early 2000, 2001, um, and I, I think it's indicative of country. Uh, they talk about, okay, you've got a retention and you've got a disposal. And for the listeners out there, a disposal is where you dispose of something like getting rid of a dead body dispose of the body. In records management terms, it's actually a disposition and you've got different levels. So you could have a review of an object or you could archive the, the, the object or you could workflow the object or store it somewhere else and then dispose of or delete or turn it into um, human waste or, or whatever you want to call it. Stages of dispositions, whereas most people think, well, we either destroy the document or we keep it forever. And that also plays on, on a lot of people's minds because it's wrong. And I think we've been sort of bullied into thinking that there's only archive and delete. I like how his 
first example, the first thing his brain goes to when he talks of disposal is disposing a body. <laughs> He's talking from experience. It's not, not like throwing away a chip packet <laughs> or like, no, it's got to have a pig farm. The thing is, I asked Alexa on what to do with the, how do you dispose of a dead body? And she said, I should take it to the police. I can't let it off my hand. That's, that's probably the worst possible thing yeah. you could do. And she's, she's not going to get through the CIA. She works for Amazon. True story. Anyhow, coming back to what you said earlier on about choosing a technology. So yes, we know that uh, file plan, well, that's the term we use when we create a, when we store record. That's the structure of it. There's a record series indicator, which is usually a term or a name. And then there's a bunch of uh, metadata elements, which we'll dump into. But, but uh, once you choose product, there's quite a few products. Uh, some products are housed outside of, of SharePoint, because this is a SharePoint show, so we need to bring it back. And some products are housed inside of SharePoint. Then there's also SharePoint that can do all of these things. Yeah, so maybe that's a good place to start. There are a bunch of products that provide additional records management for SharePoint. But SharePoint also has record management capabilities sort of in and of itself. So maybe we should start with where we think the holes in that basic functionality are that we need to plug. So can I start with the rebuttal straight off the bat? It's all yours. Okay. So SharePoint 2007 boss, Microsoft got an external company to come in and create the Record Center Adult Bank, which was DOD certified, the Adult Bank. Moving to 2010, wasn't, 2013's not neither is 2016. So for an organization the size of Microsoft to go, sorry people, we, are, we don't really care about DOD set. Where does that leave everyone? Because right now Microsoft, SharePoint Server and in the cloud, SharePoint Online, does have records management features. A very rich component to it. So you've got a record center, you can send a document into the record center, configure center connections. Because typically, the theory behind it is that a document eventually becomes a record, but someone needs to know what the life cycle of said document is, and you send it for classification so that your records officers can then perform classification criteria on it, and then it inherits an information management policy with a retention and a disposition schedule associated with said documentation. Yeah, you can set that all up via content types and metadata and, and, and the whole spiel. So what in that process... What is it is, is not yeah is, is not uh, compliant. What is so, I, I remember doing a records management session that actually worked, not like the one that Brandon Wurtis did last year at SharePoint Saturday. Um, we didn't have three many sessions. I, I think I was in that session. Were you one of them? Yeah, I, I know I, there were like four and, and I was the guy sleeping sessions. sleeping at the back. If yeah. I remember. But there was a lady that I sent in, in my defense. There was a lady that I sent in Brandon session. I'm talking about your session, not Brandon's session. What session? You did a session two years ago at SharePoint Saturday on records management. I'm sure it was records it was, management. It's what, no, it was the year that you never went to Durban that I did my session. Uh, no, 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 it wasn't that one. It was, it was the one where you wasn't there. Are you <laughs> sure? I'm sure. No, no, no. It was, it was the other one. So I can get you a Rufus Center NAS compliant, which will actually tackle in a, in a bit um, around NAS compliance and where DOD fits in and all the other little things. So, so what is missing from SharePoint that vendors like Kimmel, Colab, Way, Record Point, Avpoint will create products to do this for you? Yeah. But what, what is missing? I mean, we've built Record Centers. Yeah, I've, I've built record centers in SharePoint. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a legal expert. I don't know what it has to do to meet those certs, but yeah. So I, I don't know what's missing out of, out of what you can go I'm not a legal expert either, but 
I think a lot of it will come down to skill, to be quite honest with you. Um, you know, you buy a third-party product, you're buying an implementation of that product, there's a, a fairly rigid framework that that will operate within. Yeah. They will manage the deployment, get it up and running, implement whatever you need implemented. Um, and it's a fairly straightforward graphical user interface using native SharePoints for, for the housing. Did you just say Google? I did indeed. <laughs> so, whereas with SharePoint, again, you need skills, so you're potentially locked into a partner. I mean, one of the biggest things we see from an SI perspective anyway, and, and why, they, when, why they used our services, is organizations do not have the skills, and when they have the skills, the guys don't have the bandwidth to actually come and implement a, a solution of, of this sort of magnitude. I mean, your record center is going to be holding the heart of the yeah. information within the business. It needs to be done right. And I think a lot of organizations get comfort from a, a trusted third-party product to come in with that fairly rigid framework. Yeah, so you know you know it's set up in a specific exactly. way. It's not going to let you break things. Exactly, and you have staff turnover, staff member leaves, you put it together, who picks that up, who understands the inner workings, where with a product it just removes that risk area uh, from a business. You've got the, the backing of a large organization. So, so what are you saying? That SharePoint is not a product that can do that? No, it absolutely is a product that can do that. I just think what stops organizations just leveraging off SharePoint is the skill to get it implemented. But you still need to a lot of yeah, but plugins. You've, you've got a... If you're doing it just in SharePoint, there's an awful lot of customization to be done. Exactly. To define customization. Um, customization is as... I would do it as a non-code... Yes, so zero code. Admin, yeah, a zero code. So setting up, uh, making sure you've got all the right content types and all the right places and configuring those send to connections, configuring the record center, configuring the retention schedules across the different ones, and then making sure that's all running properly and sending the notifications to people that tag it and like all, all that sort of interaction. Yeah. Um, you have to configure basically from scratch. So Whereas a third-party product, what I'd assume is, does a lot of that sort of thing for you. So it'll manage the rules in an easier way where you don't have, like you can inherit it in, in a bunch yeah. of ways. And the interfaces are simplified that the, the layman could potentially do a lot of that configuration without See, having. I, I disagree with you completely. So records managers are not laymen because the finance club is not going to know when this document needs to become a record. So if you look at what happened with Enron, mm. Solvane's Oxley. Oh no, we didn't know we had to keep it. Because you put pie in, and it's the same inherent problem with SharePoint. In place records management. So now you have documents coexisting in records. You can apply a hold to a document in a document line. And now they can't move it. So hold is a case for these things. So, I'm still of the opinion that records management is a discipline. This is why companies hire records officers. That's the thing though, like somebody who's a expert in records management does not have to have any SharePoint skills. Probably has zero SharePoint skills yes. if we're looking at the broader thing. So SharePoint has a bunch of its own very unique issues that if you're configuring something like that, you need to know. Like, how do I get mm. this workflow to run? Where do I add that content type? Whereas the third-party product surfaces that information to them and just that information that is relevant to the records management. You don't have everything else that SharePoint does sort of getting in the way and confusing matters. 
is, is, is what I suppose I would do. I, I haven't implemented um, any of these for records management. I worked with AppPoint in the past, but not, um, not on the records and compliance side. I've played with, well, I've actually implemented um, both OpenText Content Server, um, very rich, very mature, like extremely, like really old, guided cheese mature um, records management module. They've got a, what they call a, a categorization and classifications tree and it plugs into the RM module. Probably the richest one. Um, OpenText, once again, is making a comeback with Hummingbird, which is actually approved by National Archives. So now that we need to start talking about National Archives. That's interesting. NAS, NAS uses Hummingbird. Um, OpenText bought the product in 2012, then they decided to kill it, and now they rebranded and they call it Open text eDocs. Um, and people are still using it. And, and literally all they did was there was no intelligence built into how Hummingbird works. Um, they literally went to go map a physical process of a document comes into the organization, someone opens up a folder, gives it a unique name on the folder, normally like a document number, then they put the piece of paper into that yellow folder like you get when you go to the hospital. And then someone comes in and they call it, no, we need to classify it. So now all of a sudden there's a needs classification. So all that Hummingbird did was they built them. Because you've got eDocs DM and you've got eDocs on it. They just built them classification section. Right. What's, what? the, what's the biggest challenge you found with that though? Knowing when a document becomes a record. No, what's the biggest challenge with like an open text? Product wise, open text yeah, specifically. No, skill. Product. Skill. Although price, let's start with price. Yeah, but price is one aspect, but skill is the biggest aspect, and you know all about it, based at a customer out for for how long doing the management and support with your previous organization, because there was just no one else to do it. Yes. The incredibly complex well, aspect. Right, but Grod wasn't interested. <laughs> that was a wise move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the, the you, you said earlier, like the technical stuff can get done. Um, I think the people listening to this podcast are sharp enough that whatever the technical challenges are, whatever the product is, you can figure out a way and get it done. Mm. The trick is getting the agreement on, on what these branches are and how they do it. You know, like, mm. so if, if a third party product can make it easier for a records manager who knows what they're doing to implement the rules and capture the rules and make that all happen, then that's a good thing. Because us as technical people, we don't have the insight into what uh, what the rules should be and what they are. Yes, agreed. And they don't, and the people who know those don't have the technical insight. And so you, you need to have that discussion and hammer it out. And it's a long, laborious process to make sure it everybody's is. exactly on the same page. Um, so maybe, yeah, and I'm, I'm still fully convinced you can completely do this in SharePoint. Um, but it's a long process and whatever, and because it's so wide open, you, you can change whatever you want. Whereas maybe with a third-party product, it's a bit more streamlined and like, no, it does it like this. So we work around that and channel it through. I, I through think there's an, there's, an, there's an over-complication of records management in the industry. NOS talks about 34 metadata elements. And these two papers, go to NOS, it's actually two papers. They divided with the name of Louisa Fenn to actually write it. And she had to write it based on what they did in the 80s around records management or that discipline. So they are even um, 
refuting how badly written um, these guidelines are. Ross started saying back in the early 2000s that if your product was not DOD certified, it is not viable. And then they recanted that and said, well, as long as you subscribe to the metadata Guideline. guidelines, it's compliant. And really, all you want to know is how long must I keep this document for? Do I keep it forever? Great. Mm. We haven't touched on the other component, which is always missing. So what SharePoint, well, SharePoint to a certain degree, that little funny one that says barcodes. Um, the reason why they have that barcodes, not that anyone that I know has ever successfully implemented it. Okay, so I want to call it trial and there's this thing called barcodes. Mm, what is it to? I wouldn't use the term. Don't you leave? Um, not in a production setting, certainly. Okay. So have you, have you worked with barcodes for SharePoint? I have not. Do you know why it's there? So you can no, label off, you can label physical documents. Yes. Okay. So managing your physical objects. Now, content server, so open been doing that since day one. But they've got a physical objects volume, and the whole labeling system works beautifully. So, in theory, you get the document in, scan it, get the label, it prints a unique identifier, stick it on, and, and then you can put it somewhere. On the physical objects tracking on open text is Rigorous Management Model will actually tell you what shelf it's. Metrofile offers a similar service. Um, they don't really charge you that much to store the content, they charge you a bucket load to go fetch the physical document. So, physical Rigorous Management tracking the product, uh, REM IM version 2 is mm. coming up now, mm. does that. And it's really, really cool that it does. There would be there'd be fragments of that through Gimel and go that way and, and the like. That's that's so rough though. Like everything I've done with clients leads me to suspect that the actual implementation of that is going to be a complete nightmare. Like no right, you can you can work up a you could put a column on any SharePoint library and say shelf position and somebody could type it in. Mm. There's we, we don't have RFID tags we're putting on this they're going to actually spatially locate where this thing is so at some point you at, at some point you have to trust that the physical thing is happening because there's no way for the for, for the electronic store to actually track it invariably companies send documents to Metrofile and it just lives there forever they do I say yeah. back up that same thing just lives there forever people are too scared even if they remove the electronic document they're too scared to even touch the physical well, we, we, we had that for years back in the email archiving days. Yeah, 100%. We archived data, you could set retentions on data, but nothing ever got disposed of. When it came to the point where someone had to sign off on a document and click a button to dispose of a document, it just never happened. So what is interesting from a Microsoft perspective, if you look at the security and compliance center around e-discovery, which is another element of Finding cases yes. where documents are the integrity of the information in it is questionable, and also you can start looking at cases where documents shouldn't be destroyed and people are trying to destroy it. Whereas third party products don't actually have that functionality, um, like a Gimbal's Mikado, because it's inherently built into, into SharePoint, which is our SharePoint Online, which is a, another facet that we don't really consider. So. Yeah, we look at records management more of like, okay, let's classify this and move it away. Yes. We don't ordinarily look at it so much of, okay, when, when I need that thing again, how do I get to it? Yep. 
I mean, it's possible because you've got the whole classification of exactly where this thing is, so you can go through and find it, but it can be quite a laborious process. Which, for records, shouldn't be much of a deal anyway, because once it's a record, it's a record because it's not being used anymore. 100%. You're keeping uh, it for compliance purposes, yeah. theoretically speaking, but you need to prove that it's there. Yes, so you, have, you have to be able to lay your hands on it in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, there are also f- document formats. Uh, in the old days, well, they're still relevant now, people still use it, but they talk about PDF-A, which is the, that archiving version of PDF, which is where... Um, it was TIFFs before then, you had to keep it in TIFF format. Well, TIFF was on, on scan time, so you'd create an LZW or a, a tag and image file format, or tag image file format. Um, there's a, a Toptopia Windows operating systems ships with a TIFF iFold. Okay, I didn't know that. Because uh, it'll bring up all the. So you can OCR a TIFF um, with the iFold. Hmm. Remember, you index content in SharePoint? Yes. No one ever, there's a filter pack for SharePoint when you deploy it. No one ever ticks the tick box when you add a feature to your Windows Server. Scroll down to the bottom, there's a Windows Dev iPhone. Use that piece. It's quite neat. So the PDFA is supposed to maintain the referential integrity of the document and perhaps it doesn't check some update on, on X around where the storage is or R if the document was modified, which it's supposed to be. Um, there's also components of taking a PDF and super compressing it, and especially when it comes to scan time in this time, so that the size and all of those things outside of the stubs. I mean, you guys do stubs, so do you also do stubs? In yes. Yep. Um, which is a product, it's new to the industry, but it's very rich in, in functionality. It's also, it sits outside of SharePoint. Basically. It does sit outside of SharePoint, but it uses SharePoint for the document repository. The roadmap uh, of the features coming is massive. Um, so they're investing, Airpoint is investing an enormous amount of money. Uh, into the product, so it's going to advance very, very quickly. Um, there's a real market for it, and uh, I can see the product maturing at a very, very fast pace, which is quite exciting. Can, can you maybe just give us a, a, a brief idea of what it is and what it's doing at the moment? Okay, so so RevIM is a records management tool that uh, that Avpoint has developed. Yeah. Um, it uses SharePoint as the repositories. The, those who know Avpoint, Avpoint um, products sit on a standalone server outside of SharePoint, and they've got a range of different products. Um, this one specifically focuses on records management. It gives you the ability to save file um, <clears throat> documents straight out of your Office Suite. It allows you to leverage of templates out of that Office Suite. Um, and then they've got add-ons for things like Compliance Guardian that can do auto-classification of documents. It'll handle the retention and disposition of documents. So Avpoint historically has handled migration and data management within SharePoint. Um, they've combined a lot of these technology aspects together to cater around records management within SharePoint. Yeah, you've got a lot of learning in that space already. 100%. And, and a lot of technical knowledge as to exactly how these things work together. Yeah. So the idea of the product is me as a business user, I just keep using my office suite. I don't even know where it's going, how it's, Absolutely. How it's going. And then, um, and then this product will, will pick that up and make sure that Probably fi- properly filed and retained. and Exactly. And so on the roadmap and what's going forward is um, the ability to house CRM documents. It will be CRM integration. There's going to have the ability for Salesforce integration. So they want this to be the 
overall repository for documentation into third-party systems as well. So, okay. so like sort of wherever you're generating or finding this document, you feed it into the same place and it gets exactly and, and it gets pulled in through the lot of it. Exactly. It's, it's going to be really powerful once all the connectors and that are there, yeah. um, which is not far away. They're talking from about August. Um, it's going to be really, really powerful. Yeah, it sounds like because, again, like we talked about a bit earlier, the almost the most difficult thing um, about records management, besides building your plan in the first place, is getting everybody in the business to actually do it. Exactly. So you can have a great file plan and a great system to implement it. If people don't actually do it, like if they're not going to tag it with else 34 different metadata <laughs> columns, the thing's not going to exactly. work. Exactly. Uh, but if you can automate it to them through their normal line of business systems and they just treat it the way they would normally, maybe with a couple extra clicks, um, that should uh, help adoption of these things a lot. Absolutely. Like I said earlier, it's a, a huge overcomplication of, of the solution to dismissed. So remember, knowledge management is an actual science you can study it. And if you follow I don't know if I call it a science. <laughs> In the same way, I don't know if I call psychology a science. Yeah, this is the abrasive part of 2002. He but points to me. I'm the abrasive part of 2002. <laughs> Listen to what you just said about fluid records going to a science. You probably just kill like 15 cats. and. Uh, I, it's hugely important and very skill intensive. It's not the same as sending somebody to the moon. <laughs> Well, well, considering that they've seen someone to the Star Trek fan written all over it. <laughs> Come right, so, on Twitter. So, so in closing, um, there are a, a set of, of products out there, um, and I love to say this because at my previous company I was not allowed to say this because of product. Um, you can build a record center and have it NOS compliant in SharePoint with the metadata elements as prescribed by NOS, National Archives. Yeah, you can build it basically any way you want. That, that's what SharePoint does. You can do whatever you want. It's just a matter exactly. of time and effort. So what most people don't do is they don't measure the opportunity cost and complexity associated with going out and building this in SharePoint versus the cost of a product that is actually much richer in its functionality. This is why products like WebIM exist, the reason for Codab, and Kimball, and RecordPoint, and Record. 365 and all of those things. Yes. You stick the functionality and make it easier And my recommendation for anyone that wants to embark on a records management journey is to ensure that they measure so that they can manage what they measure because you can't manage what you don't measure. So understand complexity, which is one of the reasons why you'd rather buy a product off the shelf instead of building one. Yeah. yeah. I, agree I agree. All right. Well, Warren, thanks a lot for coming along. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We wish you all the best of luck on your, Thank you. on your new venture channel. And we'll be touching anything else from your side. Yeah, just where can people find you online if you are online? Yeah, sure. So they can follow me on Twitter at Mark Swaza. They uh, can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, or they can reach out to me at warren.marks at appoint.com. Also, it's something that is completely forgot. Um, you can actually find me as a blogger <laughs> on 365insights.co.za. That's part of the information worker community. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thanks again for coming on, Warren. Yeah, it's always good to have him on. Uh, I'm not too sure if there's any credibility to what comes out of his mouth, but uh, we'll let the listeners be the judge of that. Yeah, he's got a wealth of experience in the industry and um, what he says makes sense. Except when he, when he shakes his head sideways. Uh, then we really don't know what he means. So then we're on to the news. 
in the news. First up on our news items today, Microsoft are releasing a preview of the on-premise Dynamics 365 for operations in April. So if you are looking to get into the, if, if you're used to running AX and these such things on-prem, here's your chance to try it. So it's quite interesting that you actually grabbed that from blogs.office.com and not from uh, Mary J. Foley's post because uh, she actually posted today about that as well. Did she do one as well? Yep. I, I must have missed that that post because I've got yeah. another I've got another story a little later. Actually, no. This this ZDNet address is um, all about Microsoft. It is Mary Jo Foley's. That, that's what the link. That's what the link looks like. You can get the blog at allaboutmicrosoft.com. It is a ZDNet blog. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I haven't clicked on the link, so I wouldn't know. You, you actually have to read the articles, L. You can't just look at the pretty picture and grab a headline. That is the well, there's worst. Not even, there's not even a picture, mate. There's just a link to blogs.office.com. Actually, I'm not even looking at the right link. <laughs> this is what I have to work with, people. All right, so yes, it's very interesting to see that Microsoft is starting to push Dynamics on-prem. Yeah, they they said they said for a while they were going to, and um, be, and more pushing a hybrid scenario than a strictly on-prem one. And they're starting with operations because, according to Microsoft, that's the that's the focus that you'd most want to have on-prem. So they're starting with the operations suite. What I really enjoy about Microsoft and the Dynamics foray or the foray into Dynamics is that they actually talk English in there. Not like when you start looking at the other bits in the Microsoft pie where they start talking about Teams and Yammer and groups. and It's not very English. It's still very technical um, when it comes to, so what do we do with a team? Uh, what kind of team is that? How does that work? And then what is a, a chat group and... You know, it's it's very sort of tech-savvy instead of like they say for operations, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, that's it, it's just the the moniker like SharePoint is for collaboration, right? This is the part of the Dynamics 365 pie that deals specifically with operations and it's 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 that vertical of, of customization. So much like you have a document library, you've got an operations module in Dynamics 365. Very, very SAP orientated or, or like the real people in SAP don't say SAP, they say SAP. I got corrected a few times in the past about saying that. No, you mean Satan's accounting package? Is that, uh, uh, is, that the, is that the urban dictionary version of what SAP is? Either that or shit, another problem. <laughs> okay, I suppose you could go on for hours then. Uh, I won't. I will not bore our listeners with it. But that's an interesting thing. If you are, and we have historically had these products on-prem and now they're happening in the cloud. So getting this sort of functionality where you can you can do it hybrid or just on-prem is is interesting. So if you're looking into that in April, the preview will be out and you can have a look at that. Cool stuff. I'm sure Mr. Thirsty uh, is going to have a good fun with that. I hope so. Next up, Microsoft have um, released another new thing in Office 365. What a shocker. Um, this time they've... <laughs> They've taken a new look at the profile experience. Um, and this is rolling out now, I'm told. So instead of your your usual tile there or sort of the my site we're used to, 
um, this is this is a new sort of experience and it taps into the graph API and it will contextualize when you're looking up somebody and you bring up their profile, it'll contextualize what it brings you um, to show you what you have related to him. So if you and me are, if I pick you up, Al, if, if yeah. we are sharing one, it would show me the show notes from the podcast and not the hundred meeting notes that you've had with other people because it knows what I'm after sort of thing. So that's oh, okay. it's quite that interesting. Cool. Yeah, it's quite interesting, and it's a nice use of that graph API, all that information that it that it gathers. Just on the back of graph, because graph is the analytics engine for all things Office three six five. Yeah, uh, we were chatting to Microsoft in the week, and they have some interesting stats on the amount of time people spend in meetings during a workday. And they reckon it's an average of between 50 and 53% of your day in a corporate life is taken up with meetings. Yeah, it's quite hectic. I don't know if, you, um, if you're if you using Delve actively and, and checking your My Analytics and all that information it pulls about you. It's actually really cool. Like they've, it's really, really smart and almost scary. Really almost scary. I had a, I've got a group set up because I wanted a planner instance. Um, so we started a group for this project and it started, the, the group in Outlook started pulling in emails that were related to the project, but in no way mentions the project. No, nowhere in the email does it does it specify it's for project X, but it knows because who I'm emailing and the content, I guess, is related to other content that we already have in the group and it matches it together and pulls it together. It's almost creepy. Oh, from Delve. Yeah. And this is the same thing, right? It would be interesting to see what sort of ML or AI they've got built in. Yeah, the machine learning is is insane. Really, they've gotten it to such a high level. It's super cool. So I'm interested. And this is another way to surface all that information, right? It's another place I can go to, to get the information I need. Oh, that is true. So moving along. Yes. What else have Microsoft released uh, recently? Oh, I think it's my turn to to, to say something. It is, like, like the professionals that we are. <laughs> well, we've been told that we sound very professional, so we must be there. I'm, I'm sure that George Carlin, but at the top of the episode, did nothing to disabuse people of that notion. Uh, but, I mean, he's the voice of reason, so um, all that's off to him. I mean, he's passed, but uh, we still love him. For sure. So, the next update from Microsoft, um, I, I don't even know if we should use the word update because every week there's that's what keeps us in business on the show there's an update to the sharepoint mobile app so they've done some work some chopping and changing some chiseling to make the user experience a bit easier but this is my question then so they bought xamarin so that you could build an app and then spit out objective c and whatever code android runs on and so forth so on but yet they're making modifications to different parts of different mobile OSs. So for iOS, you've now got, uh, you can now author news and you can publish it to team members and it will come up in your newsfeed, which they never had before. But apparently Android users have had that. And on the Android side, uh, you can now configure personalized team news as a roll-up so that it rolls up into your newsfeed. So... Do they have a team writing code just for Android and another team writing code just for iOS? Or are they actually using Xamarin to build out the SharePoint mobile app? 
I don't know what the dev path of the mobile app is specifically. It'd be interesting to get somebody to talk to about that. I wouldn't even like I wouldn't even know who to start to ask. I would assume by the different by the different uh, specs that it's not being written once in Xamarin. I don't know also whether this is a new round of apps or if if this is a legacy of very old SharePoint apps. I don't know how long these have been in the marketplace, the specific app. No, the um, SharePoint mobile app, it's brand new. I mean, when did they launch it? Um, last year sometime when uh, Jeff Tupa did the May the 4th Be With You and they started talking about, yes, SharePoint's finally getting a mobile app. It's that that's, one. That's true. So it is. it does look, though, that it's not a single app and they are splitting out differently. I don't know what the dev experience is like with Xamarin. Maybe you... Maybe you code the things once and then you have to tailor fit it in different places. I'm not sure. Well, they I, did release to iOS first and then to Android a couple of months later. I wonder if they're porting that code. or Although that, that Android had already had experiences that iOS didn't would seem to suggest they're, they're dev differently. And I would think you'd have to because you don't have nearly the access to iOS as you do to Android as a developer. Uh, yeah, from a publishing perspective, yes. Like not I mean, even just a publishing it. perspective, just a coding perspective. Like you don't you don't have the access to the base OS in the same way. Like Apple do not want you touching it. Well, well, look, I've got a very expensive uh, third generation Apple TV doorstop um, that works great as a doorstop, but it does jack shit else in my house right now because of the closed ecosystem. Yeah. But having said that, the closed ecosystem breeds. Uh, quality, uptime, and availability. Um, whereas an open ecosystem doesn't necessarily do the same. Yeah, I mean, that's two different ways to approach things. I'm not quite sure we've, we've seen the end of the debate yet. I think it's still playing out. Funnily enough, what about two years ago, uh, more than two years ago, when, when the first Surface devices came out, um, all the cool kids went out and bought Surface Pros. And then they bought the next version of Surface Pros. And when Surface Books came out, everyone consumed that. Now, I've probably had about seven mates over the last three weeks all move to Mac. What? No, not parallel Mac, moved to Mac, as in we're running the Macos. Okay. Uh, your, your, your peer group is rather strange, I think. Look, everyone said, well, the new MacBook Pros are, are hardcore. Even the MacBook Airs, i5, and it's, what, you can get an i5, 8 gigs of RAM, a 128 gig SSD or 256 gig SSD for like 20K, whereas the equivalent Surface Book is 27,000. Yeah, you're missing. And you can get the, MacBooks in the country. You're missing the point, though. The Surface Book is, the, the Surface Book is a very different thing to a MacBook Air. Like you, you should equivalent you you should make that equivalence between the MacBook Air and the equivalent Dell or HP machine. So you you're just saying that there's no comparison. There's the Surface Book, and then there's every other inferior product. Pretty much. <laughs> the thing is, Apple Apple build these things at scale, same as Dell and same as HP. That's not what micro. That's not what Microsoft is. That's not what the Surface Book is. It it's not. It's not a, a like machine. It's not built for the same purpose. Mm, it's the same kit inside, mate. It's just quality kit. Yeah, like the thing is, it's, it's not built for that purpose. Like the ones that 
Dell and HP and whoever are building, they are built for the same purpose. They are the, to the public, whatever. I mean, Apple pushes a little bit higher. They want to be Apple and, and all sneaky and like, not sneaky, shiny and whatever. Uh, and they'll rev it slightly every year. And people go bananas over the new one. And it's the same shit, man. I mean, they've got it this is. weird the, sort of... It, it's the same machine that it, it, it was. And But yeah. look, they've got that touch bar thing on the top. So they've replaced the escape and the function keys with a screen that you scroll your finger over and it does different things. It's Ooh. really tit. But I think it costs like seven grand extra just for that. Yeah, it's, it's stupid. <laughs> seven thousand rand, man. It's a gimmick. I'm I'm pretty sure I remember an old HP laptop that had a similar thing. You had like oh, a programmable no. function bar instead of actual buttons. I'm sure. I oh, I know that. what you're talking about. Yes, there were it's a couple of those. It's the same thing. Yeah, but this is an actual screen. The other ones were I like wanna... sort of touch sort of things. But that it's it's the same principle. So, uh, like, but it's not Apple, so it's not as cool. <laughs> exactly. Ah, no. I like PCs, man. Right to repair. Although, like, not that laptops are really right to repair. Yeah, but Outlook Outlook doesn't crash on a Mac. (laughs) Outlook doesn't crash on my machine either. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, uh, Bree, I promise you, since you said that now, um, it's like the ring where that person, seven days from now, your Outlook is going to (laughs) crash. You've been saying this to me for weeks. I still have not had my Outlook crash. Ah, time. Just give it some time. My Outlook crashed. Um, but anyway, moving along, we digressing. Um, our last bit of news here. Um, as we spoke about last week, Teams went GA. Teams went uh, generally available. And as part of the generally available, they did add a couple things and gave us a little bit more information. So um, Teams is available on Office, obviously, 0365 subscriptions. There's no standalone product for this. You have to... You have to do it on a subscription, and it's available on Business Essentials, Business Premium, or the E1, E3, and E5 plans. If you did get grandfathered in with an E4 plan, you'll also get it, if that's relevant to you. Um, and they they announced a couple more things. So Teams has email integration now, which I haven't played with. It sounds a little weird, but I think the idea is you can... If you, if you have some workers who are working in Teams and some way, and some workers who are working in email, the, they'll coexist and they'll be able to share that information in either in either portal. So you can get all the all the flexibility of Teams for the people who want to use Teams, and then for the users who just want to keep using their email, they can still participate, and none of that information is lost, which I think is quite cool. Yeah, and what's also interesting. According to the article, Microsoft has launched 100 features since it went into preview in November. One, zero, zero. That is mental, mate. Yeah, they're revving it very quickly. Very, very quickly. And another one that, a very important one that they're bringing up for Rev soon, they've announced that um, from the end of June 2017, they'll have external guest access into Teams, which I think is... That's really cool. Mate, that's a, a Slack killer right there. Yeah. If you can integrate in from whatever organization. That's well, look, uh, the external nice. access to Office 365 groups works beautifully. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's, it's on that same backbone, right? Because it's integrated in a group, so it obviously uses that same portal through. Except it seems like you need to create a group from inside of SharePoint or from the admin console or the web app instead of doing it from Outlook because you can't add external users in Outlook because I don't think it... It says type in any name, but it doesn't do anything further. You can't hit enter and then it appears in the invite section. And I tried that earlier this afternoon. I'm, I'm sure that'll come down the line as well. But um, I don't think that's a major headache. If you want to invite external people, you have to go to the website. That's that's not serious. Oh, I'll well, see how it goes. And bots, mate, bots. They, they launched a plethora of bots for uh, Teams. Yes, like a whole bunch of them. All uh, Microsoft internal developed bots. And there's a bunch. I haven't even I haven't even looked through them, to tell you the truth. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about on the bot side, um, there's actually some really cool tutorials around building bots. You can go build a chatbot. What language are you using to to build these? Do you know? Not off the top of my head. We'd have to get our learned friend and colleague, Mr. Migration, who is now becoming Mr. Blockchain, Johan Mayberg, to talk to us about Azure and what you can do with ML and building a bot in Azure, because apparently it's quite easy to do. That sounds super cool. And on the topic of bots, mate. Yes, we're we're segueing neatly into your new segment. Yes, new find of the week. So this is not so much a product as a public service announcement, <laughs> but in lieu of what everyone's been saying about AI and machine learning and that a bot's going to... Um, bots going to replace you as a person. I've seen so much over the last two, three weeks on bots. I actually watched a video last night of a house building actual robot, not the bots that we are going to be talking talking about, but a machine, a robot building houses. So bricklaying. A robot, not a bot. Yeah, a robot, not a bot, which is crazy. But my new find of the week is actually brought to us by Brandon Burtis, who wrote a post about this lawyer bot. A lawyer bot, you say? A, a lawyer bot. So if you go to do not pay.co.uk, um, there's an actual bot on the site. You can ask it questions, and for the most part, it will answer you. But <laughs> do you remember the old, the very first games like Zork and those things? where it was all quest-based and you had to ask it a question. And if you didn't ask it in the right way, it would say, well, I don't understand the question. Yeah. All they're doing is they're taking that idea from the late 80s, early 90s and turning it into um, some sort of commercial value. Yeah, this is a, this is a UK-based website, we must mention. So for our South African listeners, legal advice may vary. It would definitely vary, but the idea behind it, being able to say, you can ask this lawyer bot rudimentary questions like, how do I go about paying a speeding fine? So if they had to build it in South Africa, they tell you not to worry about it because in two years' time it will just expire. Those sort of things. Yeah. Um, but yes, bots are taking off. There's We spoke about it last week, um, Rick Roosevelt's uh, SP admin bot and I've been speaking to a couple of partners and they've been building some 
um, help desk bots and some concierge bots that your first level support is handled by a bot and the bot cannot articulate the answers correctly within an allotted space of time, they actually flag it and send a mail off to say, well, this is second level support or third level support and someone has to get involved in it. That's super cool. It can call in for help when it needs it. Uh, so bots have actually moved on from just being an answer service to a question to an instruction service where you yeah. can instruct the bot to perform tasks. That's creepy, man. We're getting into the process where robots are fixing robots and working on robots. and that That's how the sci-fi starts. It does. But we know that Skynet was coming. It was inevitable. It's like uh, anyone that watched the William Shatner Star Trek stuff, um, you are seeing all of that come through now in real terms. So I'm not afraid of, of Skynet and the, uh, bots taking over. I, for one, welcome our new robot overlords. <laughs> You've been saying that repeatedly. I have, and it's getting ever more uh, useful. When, when, like, when they go back, when they take over the world and they go back over the everything we've shared as a, as a race, they'll be able to pick out, like, oh, that guy's cool, that guy's cool, that guy's cool, the rest of you are dead. So I'm just setting yeah. it up. You've been watching too many series, mate. I've been watching too few series, working too much. Although that's the other side of being successful. Yeah. So then our final segment of the podcast is my PowerShell Commandant of the Week. As always. As always. 20, 23 down, um, 647 to go, something Some, like that. Something like that, yeah. We'll count them, I'll count them again sometime soon. So because you gave me such crap last week about doing a simple one. Get SP uh, Web. Was it it, yes, like doing, doing, web or something. Yeah, doing something like actually useful for people. This time we've got a complicated one. That's not actually the reason. It's just a random. Um, and the random this week brought us new SP Enterprise Search Security Trimmer. So I had no idea this existed. So I did a little bit of reading. And do you know that you can set SharePoint to apply security trimming at the query level of a search. So regardless of SharePoint's normal security trimming, when people are doing, you can also lock down searches and say, no, you can't search for this document or this site or whatever. How crazy is that, Hale? Look, it's quite neat. Uh, um, the way Microsoft throws around the term trimmer, um, especially around security trimming and all of those things, uh, it's difficult to sort of conceptualize what the meaning of the word is and what you've just explained right now is very cool. Yeah, so what it'll do is when somebody makes a search, if the search would return anything that's um, included in this rule that we'll create using this PowerShell script, it won't return that in the search result. Okay, but it does that anyway. So there is trimming in search because the account that does yes. the search on the index is the... It does, it, does security trimming. it does security trimming as to, like, what do I have security to? It won't return anything I don't have rights to. If Correct. I have rights to read a document that is trimmed using one of these rules, it won't return in search for me. Even if I have access, even if I have access to read it, I don't have, the, the rule says I can't see it in search results. So you can navigate I to can't it query if, you, it. if, you, if yeah. you know where to find it, but through search you won't be able to. Yeah, I can't I'd query love it. to know the use case for that because someone would have come up with a use case for it for them to build it into the product. Yeah. Maybe I'm reading this all wrong, but this is what it seems like to me. So um, what you do, like it's got a few parameters. You've got to give it an ID. Um, you have to give it a rules path. So what, what is it that I'm setting this rule on? 
so this site, this document library, whatever, you obviously have to set the search application. You have to give it a type name as well. So the type name, um, it seems you can have it apply this rule in a couple different ways. So before the query or after the query or some other weird combination. And then the last parameter is a, is a properties parameter for the rule. And you can set up a bunch of rules. So I, I didn't spend too much time researching it, but uh, it seems like to me from that, you can set various parameters. So this metadata column is this, then it doesn't return and, and that sort of stuff. I wonder if you can integrate that into the security and compliance center. So you're not going to, so sensitive information, huge uh, security trim, even though people have access to the library that it's sitting in, but you still don't want them to search for it, uh, to find it if they search for it, if they don't know that it exists. Maybe that's a thing. I would say you'd probably just use the regular security trimming and people who, I, I suppose it, it depends whether you're working uh, least privilege or most privilege sort of thing. Like w which way around you're, you're implementing your permissions. So that's, and if you've got, if you've got an entirely search-based user interface for whatever reason, which you can do, um, this will effectively remove it from people unless they figure out the URL paths, which in a, if you're doing that, you can make completely Byzantine and unknowable. Yeah. It'd be a weird way know. to architect, but that would be a, an interesting wonder, thought experiment, if nothing else. I, I wonder if Microsoft took all the questions of features and just built PowerShell scripts based on it indiscriminately. Because I'm still trying to find a use case for this specific one. So maybe that's a question for our listeners. If you know, if you, have, if you can think up a way where this would be useful, please ping us on Twitter or in the comments or wherever you like and uh, let us know because that would be cool. It would be cool, yeah. Hit us up on our Facebook page as well. Um, it's much probably easier because people spend a lot of time on Facebook. Yeah. All so right. That's it. That's it for us, Al. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I'm going to look forward to listening to the Heckler carry on, and I'm sure there's a couple of blooper reels at the end of this episode. There will be at least one. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can find our website, twoguysandsharepoint.co.za. We're also on Twitter, at twoguyssharepoint. I'm at oddmodlin. And I'm at Alistair Pugin. We're also on Twitter, your podcast app of choice, and iTunes. If you are listening on iTunes, please do, please do leave us a review. That would help a lot. I think you've asked for the last 12 episodes for a review and no one's given us a review on iTunes. Although our popularity stats have gone through the roof though. That's good. I'm going to keep asking until somebody leaves a review and then I'll <laughs> shout that person out and probably stop. We'll give them a free t-shirt with two guys in SharePoint logo on it. All right. Okay, Mr. Modlin. Thank you so much for recording, Al. And I'll chat to you soon. Ciao, ciao. Cheers. Third-party products that'll. I'm the one who edits this. <laughs> I'm the head of all that. And now we have. Yeah, absolutely.